1: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie
3: Tuesday morning uh, the 2nd of January Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am this is Michael Reed on LMFM and indeed a happy new year to you. We've a very busy programme for our first programme of uh, the year ahead today many questions in fact for Louth County Council and we'll be wondering how it was uh, that last year they discovered two documents in response to a Freedom of Information request which was appealed, that resulted then in five documents and then when they were told to go back and do a fresh search by the Information Commissioner, they found not two not five, but 892 documents. We'll be hearing more about that a little bit later on in the programme, but it is a story that relates to last year and we'll begin this morning by looking at the year ahead and what 2024 has in store for us. Let's speak to the Minister for Sport, Thomas Byrne, who's a Finefall TD for me, East. Good morning to you, Minister. Happy New Year to you. And thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning.
4: Happy New Year to you, Michael, and to everybody out there as
3: well. Well, it's going to be a very busy year politically, isn't it? Uh, with two referendums in March, and then we go into the summer months. In June, we'll be voting again in the local and the European elections.
4: Yeah, look, the local and European elections are are there. I mean, look, thank God we live in a democracy. The one thing that you're guaranteed in this country is our elections. Um, So we have those elections this year. And then at some point after it, before March of 2025, uh, we'll have the general election as well. And they're they're going to happen. Uh, Government's working towards that. But the main job of government is to run the country uh, and hopefully to run it well. Uh, and to make sure that we give the people of the country the best possible opportunities for progress and
3: success. Okay, and maybe we can talk uh, about uh, what the campaigns might hinge on uh, in relation to the referendums and uh, and indeed the elections for that matter uh, in the next few minutes. But can I ask you uh, about uh, your own portfolio and that of uh, the Football Association of Ireland. Uh, there's an ongoing controversy uh, about uh, the salary of the uh, chief executive there. Uh, the FAI apparently had wanted to pay him €300,000. Uh, uh, what can you tell us a- about that and what you and government said to the FAI?
4: Well, look, I mean, this all, it's important to look at the context of it this. this goes back to 2018, 2019, um, into 2020, when the scandal arose about, um, essentially, John Delaney and how the FAI was being run. One of the biggest issues at the time was just, I suppose, the, the salary of John Delaney at the time, the benefits that he accrued as chief executive of the FAI. And when the FAI then came to the government looking for extra financial support uh, an agreement was made with the government it's a bit in fact it's a bit like the IMF agreement with, 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 with the government some years ago there was money given and conditions granted as, uh, uh, on the basis of that one of the conditions was that the salary of the chief executive would be no more than the salary of the secretary general of a government department it was very important very important at that time and that's the context the context was John Delaney yeah. um, the government has been obviously giving the FAI m- more than double what they would normally expect to be getting uh, in terms of funding, and getting significantly more than any other sport at the moment because of their financial situation a few years ago. Mm. And one of the conditions is that the salary of the CEO be yeah. capped. It, it turns out...
3: $250,000, is not it, Minister?
4: Yeah, yeah. well, that's, that's the, the, mm. the salary of a Secretary-General. But it turns out, as the government was checking this and putting in auditors, not just checking this particular point, but checking the entire agreement, uh, it was found that the salary was in excess of that. Now, that's been, a stop has been put to that this year. Um, I made sure of that. Um, but it was going on for a couple of years, and it wasn't acceptable. Uh, and I am glad now that it has been resolved, and it was resolved because the government uh, was examining the books through Sport Ireland and the auditors to make sure that uh, the taxpayer was getting value for money, because uh, we do hear, like, sport needs more funding, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. soccer needs more funding all the time. But the reality is that the FBI has been getting significantly more funding than they're entitled to over the last number of years because of the really bad financial position that the organisation found itself in uh, in 2020. Uh, and that's where we are. Um, mm. And that and went on for some time.
3: I mean, the salary that the FAI uh, had been paying was pretty close to 300000 They said it was in line with Robert Watts' Uh, Salary And Robert Watt being uh, the General Secretary of uh, the Department of Health. But he's seen in a a different context to Secretary Generals of uh, the various government departments. He's seen as a super Secretary General. uh, And that's why uh, he he couldn't be paid that uh, uh, amount. Uh, But this went on from February to October of 22, did it?
4: Um, I mean, the situation went on probably a bit longer than that. Actually, I mean, the audit report was these audit reports take a bit of time to uh, to carry out. Sorry, that particular issue in terms of in terms of the queries with the department as to what the level was. Yeah, that went on for some time, probably just just before and into the start of my time. Uh, but the department gave a very very clear answer uh, as to what the situation was, and clearly the situation was what pertained at the time the agreement was signed, uh, which was the the secretary general's salary which, quite frankly is already high enough. Um, and that that word was given on that. The audit continued, uh, that the government was doing, uh, but that audit was concerned about lots of things, not just about salary. Uh, The audit came through then, I think, around October time, and there were a number of recommendations on that, I mean, primarily to make sure the CEO was only paid in accordance with what was agreed with the government, Um, and I said that those recommendations needed to be implemented, and I think we got a report from Sport Island about sometime in November, December, confirming uh, that all of the recommendations have been implemented and that funding could continue, and that's what's happened, and the salary is is now, uh, as we understand, through our auditors and through Sport Ireland, through the FAI, the salary is now at the level uh, that has been agreed with the government. But it's very, very important to remember as well, that's only because the government gave extra funding to Mm. the FAI. If the government wasn't doing that, we don't have salary caps imposed on the GEA or rugby or other sports. Uh, but because of significant extra funding, that's why this applies to the FAI. Now, that agreement actually ran out uh, on, on, on Sunday at the end of the year. So it's it's likely that the FAI will, will seek an extension of that agreement, but we'll, we'll talk about that with the FAI in in the coming weeks and months.
3: Okay, and uh, this goes back a, a number of years. Uh, I see reports of a salary of 270000 for the two years previous uh, to Jonathan Hill receiving the salary of almost €300,000.
4: Yeah, and there, there, you know, there were recommendations in the other report about repaying... Um, the excess part of that salary, at least for 2022, and um, that, that has been done. Um, and there are other recommendations there as well to make sure that this this is right. I mean, the most important recommendation, actually, was that Sport Island and our auditors were insisting that there would be uh, basically an extra person put into their finance department. And, you know, there was some discussion about that, but essentially we, we wanted that because we felt that clearly in the pre-, in the old days, one of the biggest problems that the FAI had uh, was with finance issues. So we felt it was really, really important to have extra people uh, in the finance office. And that has been done. So there's an extra senior enough person there now. Uh, and I, we, we think that's very, very important. But look, if the FEI weren't coming to us for double the funding that there would be no such conditions or you know that they, they would be able to do their own thing and yeah. paddle their own canoe so to speak um but because they've sought extra funding from us and a significant extra funding that's why these conditions are there because sometimes people think we're just picking on the fai so i think it's really, really important to give the context as to why we are here and they could if they so wish choose not to seek extra money from the government this year um I think it's likely that they will seek it. They did they did indicate that last June and we waited until the audit process was finished. Um and we will we will have that discussion um I I would have thought in the next in the next few weeks and months if that's what the FAI wishes to do.
3: But the money that was overpaid or shouldn't have been paid and as a result was overpaid has been repaid to the government, has it?
4: Well, in a, in a, in a, it's not to the government, you see, it's, it's. I mean, the FAI, I mean, the yeah. FAI have, have funding from the government, but they also have commercial funding as well through, you know, matches yeah. and, you know, all, all, all of that and money from UEFA and all of that, so it's not just government funding, so so it's an internal matter for the FAI, we just wanted to make sure that we put an audit in we get this right, so and okay. the recommendations that the audits are carried out, and yeah. in,
5: in respect
3: of 2022. But, but what, what that does that mean the then? Jo- jo- Jonathan Hill has repaid what he was overpaid to the FAI, so that it can use it for other purposes. Is it
4: essentially in, in accordance mm. with the, the last audit recommendations? Anyway, mm. um, yeah, that's what happens. I mean, okay. the FAI, the FAI. But how much was that? I don't have the exact figure I, I, I don't have the exact figure here in front of me it's in, it's, 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 in the, it's in the tens of th- the, the low tens of thousands
3: Okay, but it ha- has been repaid and you're in satisfied? accordance with
4: the 20 in the, well in accordance with the audit recommendations it's been repaid yeah
3: mm. okay uh, and the FAI has said that lessons have been learned. do you accept that?
4: I actually do. Um, to be fair to them, I mean, this is obviously a very important issue and a very, you know, one that would, would get high public profile and questions from journalists such as yourselves. But there, there is a, a wider agreement and lots of other recommendations that have to be implemented as part of this agreement with the government. And 95% of them essentially, as of the last count, had been implemented. So there's been a, to be fair to the FAI, I would say this, there's been a huge amount of change uh, in the organisation over the last number of years. Uh, they have worked really hard to develop football. They still get a lot of criticism, particularly from their own, and that's the same as any organisation, I suppose. Uh, but my observation is they've worked very hard. And I saw, I saw that last year, actually, when the Sports Capital Grants programme, the applications were launched for that work. I genuinely saw a huge effort by the FAI working with government and working with sports partnerships to make sure that soccer clubs were applying uh, for Sports Capital Grants. Because there had been a complaint over... I suppose over two decades that soccer wasn't getting its fair share of sports capital funding but I saw a genuine effort by the FAI to really push this among clubs that quite frankly in the previous two decades that effort wasn't always seen within the FAI.
3: Okay. Uh, Minister, uh, as we look ahead to the year ahead, uh, obviously uh, we're going to have uh, these elections, uh, the European and local elections uh, that we discussed earlier on. Uh, and undoubtedly in those campaigns we're going to see the usual issues uh, the most important issues uh, debated uh, whether that's housing health uh, crime uh, but I, I think it's probably true to say that this year the campaigns are, are, are going to hinge to some uh, uh, effect at least uh, on immigration are they not
4: well i mean i ran for the european elections um twice actually um 2009 and 2014 so if good experience of what the issues are. Um, what I would say is that, and, and I don't include you in this actually because you do cover them very well, but I mean, I ran and in 2014 what really surprised me was the lack of interest from local radio stations in covering the European elections in general. We, we genuinely thought when I was a candidate in 2014 that local radio, you nearly ran a local radio station almost every day um, talking about the European elections during the campaign. That just wasn't the case. In general, they had set-piece debates during the campaign, and there may have been one for each local radio station. I think that the, the European Parliament is so important, and I think really the, uh, the media papers need to need to really scrutinise the candidates, um, need to find out what they're putting forward. Because every European law that comes forward, every single European law that comes forward needs the European Parliament to approve it. So when people say, "Oh, Brussels is imposing this on us, whatever it is on us," um, you need to know that the MEPs and the governments have agreed that together. So we need a huge amount more scrutiny. And I'm, I welcome that you're mentioning the European Parliament elections uh, on the 2nd of January, Michael, because I think it's really, really important. Mm. Look, farmers obviously have a huge interest in Europe, so agriculture has always been a huge issue at the European elections. And farmers, in my experience, are highly engaged uh, in European elections. And that's to their credit and to the credit of their organisations, because clearly the European Union has a huge impact on farming. Mm. In, in the environmental movement, uh engages really strongly with european elections uh, and again that's really really important because a huge amount of environmental planning law uh comes from the european union and it's meps that that decide whether that goes ahead uh, or not they're not just sitting over there in brussels they're sitting over there in brussels making changes which generally speaking are very much to our betterment but also i think the public are entitled to know uh, what's being proposed Uh, and and, and get involved in in debates on it.
3: Okay, but are you not concerned that these really important issues will be overshadowed by the immigration debate and uh, that we're going to see the race card in the election campaigns?
2: Well, look, we
4: may see the race card. um, I mean, I can't predict what politicians would do, but I think people who are playing these cards need to be honest with the people and need to be truthful with the people. I mean, first of all, from a European point of view, We don't generally get involved in all of the migration legislation there. Maybe we should, but we don't. Why? Because we have an open border with the north of Ireland and effectively we have an open border for Irish and British citizens uh, between Britain and Ireland. So when people start talking about we're not in favour of open borders
6: yeah.
4: or we want closed borders, like we have an open mm. border. Well, I'm not, asking we you
3: to I'm not asking you to win the argument with me. I'm just to No, no, but I'm, I'm, it, making,
4: it, it, I'm, I'm making points yeah. that I believe aren't made. I I'd never mm. hear asked. When people talk, oh, we don't favour open borders, well, we've never been in favour of them. We heard this from Sinn Féin just before Christmas. I mean, Sinn Féin of all parties have fought over the last six years for an open border on this island, rightly, as as I have as well, and an open border with Britain for British and Irish citizens. And we've got to acknowledge that we have that there, uh, so we don't have full control uh, of our borders. But also, and, and we also don't get involved, uh, generally speaking, in European Union okay. measures because of that quirk.
3: Okay, but you're going to have fellas, uh, uh, I mean men and women, but you're going to have they are mainly fellas. Yeah, but no. you're going to but you're going to have fellas coming forward saying we'll put an end to that. We we will stop that, people coming gonna, in here. But but, 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 but but they're not. But but I'm not asking you to win the argument or I'm not asking you what's right or wrong or what's truthful or or untruthful. Uh, But that's what's going to happen, isn't it?
2: Uh, Yeah,
4: but they're going to have to, first of all, say that it has nothing, generally speaking for us, it has nothing to do with the European Union because we, generally speaking, run our own migration policy. Even when Mm. we decided to take all the Ukrainian refugees in, um, as a result of the war under a European Union directive that was our decision to opt in we weren't for
3: nobody but, forced but, them. but, but that, that, that again is irrelevant as wrong as that may be Minister and I'm not sure if you agree but it would seem to me that quite often you'll see European elections being fought on local issues and uh, Property taxes, water charges, things like that. Or you could have local elections that are are fought on national issues, whether it's the health service or or whatever. Uh, But this time around, uh, uh, whether whether it's the local or the European elections, I think we're going to see a lot of discussion on immigration and a lot of promises made on both sides. uh, Whether those promises can hold up or, or not is another day's work.
4: Well, they can't hold up and for this reason. I mean... Anyone that comes on talking about migration has to talk about why it's happening. I mean, people aren't just deciding, oh, we'll get in a plane, it might be nicer in Ireland, it might be nicer in France or Bulgaria or wherever. Generally speaking, people, there's war has displaced people, famously from Ukraine. Climate change is displacing people. Famine is displacing people. People are moving around the world. They are moving around the world and there's very little we can do to stop that movement unless we somehow stop all wars, reverse climate change and make sure these people have water so they're moving anyway and we've got that that's the first thing we have to accept we also have to accept as well if we go down to our local hospitals if we go down to our restaurants if we go down to any service industries in this country or indeed a lot of manufacturing as well uh, or some agricultural sectors there are there is a huge amount of migrants working there and anybody who comes on the radio saying they're going to stop immigration into the country it's going to have to answer the question mm-hmm. about where do we get with These really, really important issues, and that's the question that they need to be asked, and I believe they don't be asked. Okay. And I think that's really. Now that's not to say. Yeah. That's not to say that everybody can come into Ireland or everybody can come into France or wherever. There are rules about migration, and I think that's very, very important that we have that to make sure that the, the system is regulated. Um, and we do have that because actually, at the moment, it is actually relatively difficult to come here to work. I mean, you have to apply for a visa uh, unless you come from the European Union um, and that's the reality. But the European Union election or the local ele- or the local election isn't going to change a huge amount about that. Now, what we've got to make sure that we do as a government here is make sure that we are building more houses. That's really important for, for Irish people but also there's no doubt that some of the pressure on accommodation at the moment mm-hmm. is because of our rising population and actually there's more Irish people coming back to Ireland as is as Irish people, we often hear, oh, there's so much emigration, there's as many Irish people coming back to Ireland as Irish people leaving Ireland at the moment. So we need to make sure we've housing uh, sorted, the health service as well. And We have seen progress in them. So we've seen the government exceeding our targets, and I hope this year that we will in- significantly increase those targets to make sure that we build whatever we can build, that we do build it. Uh, we have seen pressure on trolleys reduced significantly over the last few months, and I hope that that continues. And that's as a direct result of... First of all, government investment, but also management in the health service in Mm -hmm. most hospitals, not all yet, changing their practices. And that has resulted in significant change and people have noticed that and the figures show it. So there are two big Mm. pressures, but our housing industry wouldn't cope without foreign people coming in, helping out, and our health service certainly wouldn't cope without foreign people coming to okay. work. Well,
3: these are Absolutely. the discussions we'll be having in 2024 uh, and that's before we get uh, to uh, the referendum campaigns which do have uh, the potential to be somewhat bitter but we'll leave that for a- another day. Minister, I'll leave it there for the moment because we've actually run over time at this stage but thank you indeed for your time and for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. That's uh, Minister for Sport, Thomas Byrne who's a Fianna Fáil TD for me east Now let's open up the phone lines uh, for this year if you'd like to make comment on our programme. Our telephone number is 041 983 2000 and we'd love to hear from you. You can also text or WhatsApp us 086 1800 658 our number and you can email michael at lmfm.ie
6: Michael Reed on LMFM, on LMFM.
3: Now You might remember the heavy rain on the 31st of October. Some people will never forget uh, that heavy rain as the Irish Times reports today that Eight weeks after the torrential flooding in the Cooley Peninsula, many businesses are still waiting to be assessed for assistance under the government support schemes that were promised. Uh, one of those is Frankie McCrory of Lumpers Bar in Ravensdale, who told the paper "We're left out here on a limb. Uh, there is also uh, much anxiety in uh, the area with uh, the Four Seasons Mia Mullen Jewellers, uh, the Carlingford Adventure Centre, Ma Baker's Pub PJ O'Hare's Pub the Gann House uh, all said uh, to uh, be uh, in trouble as a result of uh, the flooding and now still waiting uh, on uh, the assistance that was promised uh, from the government uh, the uh, uh, Ladies Fashion Boutique Azure is uh, uh, amongst uh, those who were waiting as is the Glenmore Valley uh, where Tommy O'Reilly says uh, they've spent two thousand on repairs so far. Uh, with another seven to 8,000 needed, but it appears that the farmers cannot apply for relief under the various schemes. As I say, that's according to the Irish Times today. Let's speak to local Sinn Féin TD, Rory O'Muricu, who, who's on the line. Uh, good morning to you and Happy New Year to you, and thank you for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, this happy comes a, as a terrible surprise, I have to say to me at least, that people haven't been looked after so long after the flooding.
7: Yeah, look, that's the difficulty with all these things because an awful lot of promises are are made straight away in relation to supports. Now we have been over and back, you know, between ministers and government agencies, and that's here, myself, my office, Anton Waters, um, and I'd assume a considerable amount of elected reps throughout uh, North County Louth, and we have had some sort of traction, and I suppose some issues you know, particularly for some householders I know have been been rectified. I am aware that there are business owners uh, that haven't seen uh, their payments follow through. And that's something that we're chasing from a point of view of we just need this to happen as soon as possible. That's accepting that assessments have to be made. And when you're having this conversation, you're also having the wider conversation in relation to the fact that we had absolutely places that were um impacted really detrimentally due to a huge level of floods. So, the big question for people is what are the night mitigations, what are the plans, what's being done to avoid this into the future? And here, I'm aware that even last night we would have had a considerable amount of heavy rain. I know that Waters would have been contacted by people in Baina uh, lo- looking for, um, and he would have got them for them for uh, sandbags, you know. Now, we just hope that obviously that that was more. Uh, the possibility and avoiding flooding rather Mm. than it actually getting into people's houses. But, uh, look, myself and Antoine Waters met with the council uh, as the lead agency. We know that they have, you know, with their operations team, we know that there are, on that particular uh, flooding incident, there were 25, uh, they had 25 flood points. I think more have been added since that we know that there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done in this whole North County Loud area and further afield in relation to flood protections and CFRAM. We know that uh, some of the resources in relation to that, the flood protection teams are carrying out assessments around all of these and then to see exactly what needs to be done. We've even done you know, our own meetings with inland fisheries and whatever just to get a notion in relation to who has responsibility, You know, who are the main players but obviously mm. it's it is the County Council It is the OPW and we need to make sure that these assessments happen as quickly as possible and then those mitigations happen as quickly as possible. That also includes Irish water and the drainage.
3: But are you surprised by the delay because it's administered by the Irish Red Cross and they say there's no delay?
7: Well, they're saying there's no delay. Businesses are saying differently. We just need to make sure these assessments happen faster. That's it, as simple as that. See if there's an issue that somebody, you know, that, that, that there is in relation to information they don't have. Well, they should be requesting that as soon as possible so that the business owner can get that in and we have absolutely no delays whatsoever. But as far as I can see, these business owners have put in all the information that's absolutely required. Mm. So we just need to make sure that there is, whatever hold up is happening you know yeah. ensure somebody well, deals with that as quickly as possible because and, it's not good enough and, and people and, work not ju-
3: and not just now but next time around uh, maybe I can quote Aidan Baker of Ma Baker's Pub readers of the Irish Times will see that the uh, last line in this article uh, it, it quotes Aidan Baker who says what happens if this happens again will we have to wait another six to eight weeks
7: well, see, that's the big one. And look, you've quoted as well in relation to farmers who don't fall under any of these brackets. And, we, you know, a number of us would have been at a huge, you know, at, at, at meetings, you know, where a huge amount of farmers were in. And their particular worry was the work that they had to do and that, you know, they had some general promises in relation to the fact that there may be some supports that would come in but they were worried in relation to, you know, money they were going to have to spend now. And in fairness, these are farmers that may have taken action, that may have, you know, saved an awful lot of homeowners and everybody in and around them. Um, but it was just... Def- and here, I've spoken to the minister publicly and privately multiple times on that with Charlie McConnell Now, what he did say at the time, he said the issue was that there is no... Would you call us, there is nothing on a shelf that he can take down in relation to providing a support scheme. Well, you know, my conversation with him went, you can imagine where it went. I think that's something we need to look at. We, we are going to be looking at some of this stuff in, into the future. We know the issues we have. We know the wider issue that needs to be taken in relation to climate change. But we know that we also need to deal with mitigations and we need to make sure that there are support schemes and support schemes that can be, you know, that can be put into action fairly quickly. So there are issues in relation to the non-payments and you know the emergency and um, flooding business support schemes. And um, but we we have a particular problem when we don't even have a support scheme that mm. facilitates you know the likes of farmers. So th- th- there's a number of pieces of work that need to be done specifically for Cooley and the uh, Countyford and North County Loud, but I think there's a wider piece of work that needs to be done to make sure that we have all those parts in play that are going to be needed when we are dealing with flooding issues into the future. And then, as Aidan Baker said, the big one is we absolutely make sure that we have those assessments done in relation to the issues that we're facing. And that we make sure those mitigations that can be put in. We know mm. we can't avoid everything, mm. but we know that we know that there are certain things that could have been done previously that need to be done now, and we need to make sure um, that we that, that we have made the best assessment properly before we even put in those added. Flood protections, for which you know there's a huge Mm -hmm. amount of money Mm -hmm. that's set aside, but we also need it to happen very quickly. And and like I told you before, Michael, we have the specific issues I've been over and back in relation to Ishkaren, as they're now called, Mm -hmm. in relation to Dundalk, and making sure we have a wastewater system that's a bit more fit for purpose. I have some answers. Unfortunately, some of the answers they've provided just beg more questions. Okay. So that's something that we'll be, mm. be following up. Well, we're, advi-
3: we're advised to expect more storms and more heavy rain over the course of uh, this year. So let's hope uh, that we'll be able to deal with it better. Rurio Omurikushin, Fainty T.D. for Loud and D. Smith. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning.
6: Michael Michael
3: Reed on on LMFM. We've been discussing already this morning how immigration is undoubtedly going to be one of the issues uh, that feature in the elections upcoming this year. But we should have a discussion on immigration according to AIN2. Patrick Tobin is uh, the leader and founder of uh, that party and a TD for Mead West and he joins us now and I think it's a conversation around Asylum seekers, those who are seeking international protection, in in particular that you wish to talk about and why so many are left languishing in the system for so long with no status uh, as such for many years on some occasions.
2: Yeah, good good morning and, and Happy New Year to you. And, and, and Happy New Year to you, in, yes. In yes, Lowson-Mead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose AIM2 have been to the fore over the last four years in calling for a respectful, decent debate around the issue of immigration. You know, we have said that uh, many Irish people have, you know, want to do the right thing, want to help people uh, who are, um, you know, struggling to, to to leave places of war and famine. Um, and that there are many cases where Irish people have successfully welcomed many people into their communities. We've also said that there's a necessity for a sustainable uh, migration system in this country. And, you know, it's very clear at the moment that it's not sustainable. Uh, Currently, the government, you know, are handing out sleeping bags and tents to people coming to the country at the moment because they can't get accommodation for them. Now, one of the biggest reasons we believe that it's not sustainable is that the government have um, a, a number of issues. So, first of all, and um, there are people coming to the country from other EU countries without travel documents. Um, and if you come to Ireland from you know, Paris or Berlin, you must have a travel, travel document. So we're, we've been calling on the government to to get strict in relation to, to that. The other issue is that it's taken so long for people to be processed through the asylum process. So right now we have about 25,000 people uh, who are accommodated within the International uh, Protection uh, Accommodation Service. Uh, and many of those, up to 20,000, are actually waiting for some kind, of, some kind of decision in relation to that. Um, and those decisions can take months, if not years. And we, we, a parliamentary question that I put in just before Christmas showed that one person was waiting 77 months for their application to be processed. That's, and that's far too six long. and a that's
3: half been, years, isn't it? I mean, that's an incredible yeah. amount of time.
2: Incredible amount. Mm-hmm. And before mm-hmm. that, you know, we, at the start of 2023, we knew of a person that was waiting 14 years for their first application to be processed. Yeah. Um, so, like we remember that when an application is processed, a person can then appeal, and that appeal process can take up to 10 years in this country. Yeah. So, you know... If but, the you would, but, you would,
3: but, but your uh, assertion is uh, that some of uh, the people who are in the system will be deported because they don't have or shouldn't have a, a right to be here. And I- I- if you got through that process quicker, then you'd have more space... Uh, because you'd be removing people from the country to make space for people coming into the country, is it?
2: Yeah, so the purpose of that system is to differentiate people who are in need of real help and people who are not.
3: And most of them would be in need of real help. Yeah, there's there's
2: no doubt. um,
3: Including those who have come from European countries without documents. Uh, When you say you'd like the government to clamp down on that, what do you mean?
2: Yeah, so, for example, nobody can get on a plane in Paris or uh, Copenhagen or Rome and come to Ireland without a travel document. Yet there would be people who would appeal to the application process um, in Ireland coming from those countries without a travel document. So that means that they have they have purposefully mislaid or lost their travel documents uh, from that European or they capital.
3: D- or, or they didn't have them when they uh, left wherever they originally came from. To that but they European
2: couldn't country. have got on the flights uh, from a European con- uh, an EU country without a travel document. So I do understand that there might be people coming from Afghanistan or Syria yeah. who mightn't have a travel document, and in their journey uh, to Ireland, uh, they might uh, have no travel document and that's understandable uh, and their journey according.
3: their journey could include a stop off in copenhagen or no or, they
2: would not no, the, you cannot get onto a flight from a european city uh, to ireland without a travel document
3: but it's i thought that possible. was i thought that was what you were saying the government needs to clamp down on
2: yeah so so what, what so what's happening is people are getting onto flights in other european uh, countries with travel documents but by the time they come to the passport controller to get off the the flight in Dublin airport, they have no travel documents. Okay. So therefore, they have strategically mislaid their travel documents. And in those situations, I don't think there should be tolerance
3: uh, Really, even though there could be very good reason for it. I mean, a, a, a lot of people uh, would leave their home country without travel documents. And there's a million and one reasons for that. One of them would yeah, be that they, they may league. not be able to get them. Uh, and then they may be hoping to reunite with family here. Uh, and because they try to get here, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're suggesting um, there's something wrong with that.
2: Yeah, so just to be clear, so there's two there's two cohorts here. There's a cohort of people who have no travel documents, who leave a war-torn torn area, to seek asylum, and in those circumstances, of course, it's necessary for their application to be processed. But there's also a section of people who come through another European country to Ireland, from mm. And, mm. and therefore those individuals can. But get they to may the have come from those other countries to have to have that you document.
3: mentioned, whether it's Afghanistan or Syria or wherever. Uh, they may have come from those countries.
2: But whether if if they came from those countries, they could not have flown from another European country to Ireland.
3: Well, you just said that they can, that they use false documents, no, no, and then they so lose the documents.
2: So there's, there's other ways of... So so just to be clear here, okay, to leave... If, if any of us get on a flight to Amsterdam or to, to Rome or to Madrid, we cannot get on the flight without a travel document. And that is the same for anybody leaving any flight, any airport in any part of the European Union, okay? So to get on a flight from another European Union country, you have to have a passport and a travel document, okay? And um, so in those cases where people have arrived here from those locations, and they have no travel document, they have mislaid a travel document that they had.
0: Mm. Okay?
2: Now, there are people who are coming from war-torn areas through other routes. So, for example, and this is a big issue here, there are thousands of people coming in to Ireland, applying for asylum through the north of Ireland uh, currently, who are coming from Britain through the north of Ireland into Dublin. Indeed, now, the, the research that we have done and the parliamentary questions we've put in have shown that actually the majority of people who are now seek asylum in this country are not seeking asylum at airports or at ports. They're actually applying for application on in the, uh, the Protection Office, the, the International Protection Office, which means that they have come through a, a, a route other than the airports or the, the ports they either had a working visa or a holiday visa and when that's run out they've applied uh, for asylum or they've come through the North Virens. And I've asked Helen McEntee, who's the Minister for Justice, how many people are coming through the North Virens, and she said she doesn't know. And that's another example of a government that's just not paying attention in relation to um, this whole process. The government, is, the government should not shrug its shoulders and say, we don't know how many people are using a particular route. They should know for sure how many people are, 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 are using a particular route. So w- our policy is one of compassion, but also one of common sense. So where people are fleeing in reality from war and famine, we mm. do want to help them, but where people are misusing the system, you know, the, the, needs to be, the law needs to be implemented. I'll give you another example uh, for that. Well, well I, so, I,
3: I, can, I have to stop you there, because I have to go to headlines. Sure. Uh, I apologise for that. But thank, no you, t- t- thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Happy New Year to you. To uh, Paddy Tobin, uh, leader and founder of Ain 2 td for Midwest.
6: Michael Michael Reed
3: on LMFM. Well, it's a a new year, and with uh, the new year, many will make new year resolutions. Uh, But the advice to, to you from Turn to Me is to make Realistic resolutions, if you're going to make them at all. Let's speak to Fiona O'Malley, who's the CEO of Turn To Me. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed. And Happy New Year for that matter, Fiona. You're suggesting to people that they aim for progress, not perfection.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes when people um, set rather extreme uh, New Year's resolutions for themselves. They're setting themselves up for failure and this can impact our self-esteem and our self-worth as well. Um, and oftentimes these New Year's resolutions that are quite extreme, whether it's a total rigid detox or um, a, you know an extreme measure of weight loss that they want. Sometimes that's not realistic or sustainable and we would encourage people to aim for progress, not perfection in their New Year's resolutions. Um, and then it might also suit uh, some people to instead of giving something up um, to take something on, whether it's a new course or um, a new a new project for themselves. Um, oftentimes when we think of New Year's resolutions th- these extreme goals that we set um, just aren't, aren't
3: and aren't realistic. Okay, but if somebody is smoking or smoking too much or is overweight or has other things that they feel they're indulging in too much, is it not time to step back at the start of a new year and think to yourself, well, I'm going to take a new approach?
1: Yes, absolutely. So if it's something like smoking or if they're um, over un, overweight and unhealthy, uh extent, then of course, yes, they should they should be healthier in their lifestyle and uh for, for lots of different reasons. But oftentimes, for example, some, someone might if they're um overweight they might say I'm going to go to the gym every single day now um, for for the next year and if they're not someone who goes to the gym regularly that's probably not realistic and um, that's not even accounting for something like injury right. um, or, or just downtime so if mm-hmm. you want to go from never having gone to the gym before or not going to the gym you know at all or even maybe once a week mm-hmm. um, if you're going to you know I suppose bring that commitment up to every single day it's just not realistic so we would encourage people to maybe go two or three times a week um, Hmm. and that might be you know more sustainable and more realistic The
3: gym owners won't like you Fiona (laughs) 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 I I think an awful lot of people uh, join a gym at this time of the year and they never go Uh, but of course it's an expensive thing to do and uh, the gym owners are quite happy with that uh, I'm sure Uh, but if you're going to sign up and become a member of a gym uh, maybe intend to go once or twice a week rather than every day. and uh, I suppose the, the, the same as uh, about uh, same thing with smoking uh, rather than setting yourself up for failure, maybe uh, decide to cut down or to have a plan in place rather than uh, thinking, well, I failed uh, so I won't bother at all because I think nine out of ten people don't fulfill their new year resolutions.
1: Yeah, it can be quite disappointing and it can lead to unnecessary stress and anxiety. Um, on smoking, I think the HSE have a website called justquit.ie or something like that, which is which is quite useful. My brother um, quit smoking a couple of years ago and he found that um, quite helpful. But um, what, what we would encourage people to do as well, as I said, if they want to start something, if they're giving something up, if they might consider taking on a part-time course, um, springboard.ie have, I think, over 230 listed um, free or heavily discounted courses um, all the way up to master's level
0: uh- one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
6: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare.
0: That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parents
6: plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify.
0: When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
1: Um, and then some people might consider joining a hiking group or a writing group or a book club um, or a drama society, something like that. That might be a better um, option for some people uh, instead of you know totally changing their lifestyles um, if, if it's unnecessary, um, obviously, if someone is heavily, you know, um, heavily overweight or extremely overweight, and and is, is smoking, chain smoking, obviously those, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you probably should change that kind of lifestyle. But if it's um, if someone has, you know, a relatively healthy lifestyle, and um, you know, don't if it's not broke, don't fix it. And when you try to set these extreme um, targets for yourself, oftentimes you know you're just setting yourself up for failure, and um, that's just you know, an unnecessary feeling of uh of anxiety that we we can bring on ourselves.
3: Yeah, okay. And it it leaves you uh, in a worse place than you were when you started off uh to uh, some degree for a lot of people. Ha, ha, have you made any resolutions yourself, Fiona?
1: Um, I'm actually doing a part-time course uh, myself, so I'll be focusing on that over the next um couple of years. Um so I that's something that I'm going to to focus on and Probably maybe um, the past year has taught me to not sweat the small stuff as much and to try to focus more on on the positive in life. That that to me is more achie- achievable than committing to going to the gym every single day. Um, maybe I'll I'll try to go twice a week or three times if uh, if I'm feeling extremely okay. <laughs> extremely healthy. Yeah.
3: Very good. All right, Fiona, thank you indeed for Thanks joining so us on the program you. this morning. That's Fiona O'Malley, who's uh, the CEO of Turn to Me. Our telephone number is 0419832000. If you'd like to make comment on our program today, that's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861. Eight hundred six five eight. 800 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie
6: Michael, Michael
3: Reed on LMFM. In September of last year, councillors in Drogheda voted to rescind the freedom of Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey. It was a remarkable story in more ways than one, which led to sharp criticism of a number of local councillors who refused to meet with men who were sexually abused when there were young boys attending Christian Brother schools. These men had called for the freedom honour to be rescinded for the way Edmund Garvey took the decision to use a legal loophole to block these men from suing the order for compensation despite the way the men's paedophile abusers had been found guilty in criminal courts of heinous crimes against innocent little boys. But it wasn't just the actions or the inaction of some councillors that gave reason for questions to be asked about how child sexual abuse victims were being ignored on one hand and how, on the other hand, Brother Edmund Garvey, who has had responsibility for the Christian Brother legal strategy, was being supported. And if that support was out of a religious death to a member of the Order, or if the support for Garvey was because of loyalty to a local person over the victims of child sexual abuse. Garvey was born in Drogheda. There were questions too for the unelected executives of Louth County Council and many of them. Why had it removed a motion condemning Garvey's legal sound strategy when the strategy was causing immense problems for victims seeking justice? Why had it set out to influence the outcome of the vote by citing legal advice that it said could have left the council open to being sued? Or why the council would not share or explain the legal advice it said it had received? We tried to establish the answers to those questions and more by submitting a Freedom of Information request. Our Freedom of Information request resulted in Loud County Council discovering two documents. We appealed that outcome and a second search discovered an additional three documents. A total of five documents were discovered. We appealed that outcome to the Information Commissioner. A four-month investigation resulted in a decision against Louth County Council. The Council was directed to go back to the drawing board and conduct a fresh search. That search is now complete and In a most remarkable twist to this story, instead of Louth County Council discovering five documents, 892 emails have been discovered. A decision on which emails will be released to this programme is pending. But let's speak once again to Damien O'Farrell about this. Uh, Damien himself, a victim of child sexual abuse at the hands of Christian Brothers. He represents other men who... Uh, have had that experience in their lives and he's a councillor on Dublin City Council. Good morning to you Damien thanks uh, for coming to us and a happy new year to you but uh, can I ask you uh, about uh, this revelation that came to us uh, as we were wrapping up for Christmas that uh, instead of there being two or five documents that the council said it had in its possession after doing an extensive trawl through all of its documents uh, it turned out there were a lot more. Instead of the five documents There are 892 documents. Uh, uh, How do
5: you react to that? Thank you, Michael. Well, I suppose, firstly, uh, I'd just like to explain, I suppose, to to your listeners how the freedom of information came about. So freedom of information before 1998, it was information relating to the governing of the state. And people believed, and it was at the time, there was a perception that this was carried on behind closed doors, in effect, in secret. That was the perception. So the Freedom of Information Act came in in 1998 and allowed all citizens—that's all your listeners, that's councillors, that's journalists like yourself—to become much more informed on the, de- the deliberations regarding decisions affecting them. Mm. So anybody can put in a Freedom of Information, and it facilitated um, strong oversight of officials. Um, it's 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 about um, institutions that govern the state. That's where the Freedom of Information is. So facilitated strong oversight, greater transparency and greater accountability. So when you looked for a um, Freedom of Information Act and you're a radio station, you know, you you're, have some amount of resources say, compared to a private citizen. And you were initially uh, given two pieces of information, two pieces of information. And after that, then you, after an appeal, you were given five pieces of information. But you had the resources uh, to go back to them, to make an appeal. And they came back to you with eight hundred and ninety two um, pieces. It's just staggering. It's absolutely staggering. And the private citizens listening to this now, that's a message to you as well, that really, like in my opinion, this council has no regard for the public, yeah. no regard um, for this act. 892, from 2 to 5 to 892, what private citizen m um, you know what what, what? what would a private citizen do? And how many other freedom of a, have? How many other freedom of information requests been made to this council, and people have been treated like your radio station has been? And that's something that the councillors. It's up to the councillors to make officials accountable, and this has to be on the next the next agenda of the next board meeting of uh, Loud County Council in January. Councillors are directors of the board. They are the directors of the board, of, of Loud County Council and they oversee the officials and this needs to be addressed and the ceo really needs to make a public statement about this and come onto your radio social and explain it there could be a rational explanation, but I, mean, I doubt it. I, well, we
3: have we, we, we have asked Loud County Council uh, f- for a statement or for somebody to come on, uh, but to respond to this, uh, to try and uh, explain it to us. And I, I, I take it that there are a possible number of explanations. Uh, one of those... Uh, would be incompetence on a grand st- scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the best explanation that the County Council could give us. Uh, or or else there's a, a lack of resources uh, with the local authority or, or something like that. But uh, to... Uh, respond to uh, a request uh, which is governed by legislation in such a shoddy way I think the best explanation that Loud County Council could give is we are a complete incompetent body. That wouldn't uh, fare very well though would it? No it, it was reported
5: on LMFM last May um, that the CEO of Loud County Council had denied censoring motions being brought before the local authorities monthly meetings and says and she said that one, that one the one at the center of the controversy was removed from the agenda on legal advice and i suppose that's the background to your freedom of information we wanted to see this legal advice and we came up 2 2 they were two replies then 5 then 892 and i'm just wondering um, was there anything in the 18, 892 about the victims? Because this is all about people, child victims that had been raped and abused. And was there anything in that 892 when they were just trying to help these people, mm. trying to trying to do something for them? Was there, or was it all about um, Brother Edmund Garvey? Was it all about mm. his, regard for him? Because there doesn't seem to be any regard for the victims here. Mm. And and
3: that's questions. And and can I, can I can I ask you a question as a a councillor as an elected representative yourself a member of Dublin City Council are, are you surprised by the amount of emails uh, that were sent back and forth in Louth County Council about one single motion? I'm absolutely shocked and astounded. And I
5: have contacted and I've heard about this just before Christmas you informed me about this And I contacted um, my independent um, councillor contacts around the country and other local authorities, and they've never heard the like of it. They've never, ever heard the like of it. That would be over 800, 900, and that's what we know about. And this is just emails, uh, texts. Um, and other messages, written correspondence, but texts and
3: all are all are also, and I know... They're um, all governed by the Act. All, all this is the Act. law. This is legislation. Not one text yeah. ha- has been yeah. uh, given to the Freedom of Information body in Louth County Council. Well, I'm aware of texts that are in existence, and I've seen texts that are in existence, you know, so that, that okay. this is just absolutely mm. scandalous. So maybe we should go back to the Information Commissioner and ask them, to ask Loud County Council to look at this again, to look at their phones because they're only looking at their emails. Well I think
5: that really the, the CEO of Loud County Council needs to make a public statement, needs to come onto the radio and it's certainly in the next meeting of Loud County Council I'd be absolutely shocked and astounded if this wasn't an item on the agenda. The councillors have to make the, the officials accountable. Like what are the citizens, what, what service are the citizens getting? Quite Freedom of information is quite a lot under planning laws uh, planning because the council has, has uh, authority over planning in the county and there's quite a lot of freedom of information requests certainly around the country to do with planning. Mm. So this has to be looked at. Are, pe- are people getting the service that they pay for, that the taxpayers pay for? I mean in, in 2019 the Taoiseach Leo Varadka, he apologized to all people who were sexually abused in day school. So the Taoiseach apologized to these men that we're talking about. He mm. apologized to them on behalf of the state And he said that they will not be found wanting the state a third time. They will not be found wanting a third time.
3: And they have been found wanting.
5: These men weren't listened
3: to. to. That that was nearly four years ago. That was in July of uh, 2019. In fact, I think we can listen to what Taoiseach Leo Vratgar had to say then.
8: I joined Minister McHugh in calling on patron bodies to make any available information they have and documents available too. And the same, of course, applies to the Department of Education. I want to recognize the campaigning and advocacy role of Louise O'Keefe, on her own behalf and on behalf of others. Even today, many victims of sexual abuse do not report it. But the fact that people like Louise do gives them hope and courage and some comfort. Without meaningful action, apologies on their own don't count for very much. And the best apology that we can make to Louise O'Keefe and to all other survivors is to say that further action will now be taken. The state failed them at the time failed them again a second time when it did not own up to its responsibility. And we won't fail them a third time.
3: We won't fail them a a third time. That's uh, the Taoiseach Leo Vradker. You say you've been failed and uh, the men who were little boys at school in Christian Brothers schools uh, who were raped and sexually abused by Christian Brothers are being failed now by the state. Interesting there as well to listen to the Taoiseach call on the Department of Education to release documents It has. I I presume you could extend that to Louth County Council to release documents. It has. It found two. It was appealed. It found five. It was appealed to the Information Commissioner who told them to have a proper look. They found 892, but they still haven't found any texts or WhatsApp messages. You say you've seen them. That immediately raises suspicion. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean,
5: these victims were failed and, and, and members of them on Taoiseach's party, Eileen Tully, she's the mayor of Drada, she, she wouldn't listen to any of the victims. She wouldn't listen to them for a year um, and didn't speak up on behalf of them, you know, and wouldn't wouldn't take a call, wouldn't listen, just totally ignored them. Uh, James Byrne, he's in the government party as well. Bertie O'Hearn um, apologised in 1999, he made a state apology. James Byrne, he's a member of Fianna Fáil on Drada County Council, he's the same, he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. Uh, so th- they have been failed. And, and the Taoiseach is talking about all the government. It's, it's all the government institutions. It's local authorities. Dublin City Council were very involved with putting people into, um, where, where I'm a member of Dublin City Council, we were very involved, shamedly, about putting people into uh, industrial schools back in the day. And, and, and he was talking about us as well. He was talking about Dublin. He was talking about everybody. He's talking about the state. And these are public reps, public reps elected by the people members of his party, members of Bertie O'Hearn's party and they just ignored victims and it's just not good enough. And when and, and really somebody needs to needs to get back to this. But we would be, the, yeah. the victims have asked me to correspond with uh, Taoiseach uh, Leo Vratka and to Bertie O'Hearn, bringing his attention to Eileen Tully, member of Fianna Gael and James Byrne, member of Fianna Fall, and their conduct in this where they just totally ignored us. Yeah. You know, it's just not good enough. And uh, we've been bringing that up with their, with their general secretaries of their party as well for that to be looked into. Yeah.
3: Um, If Louth County Council's failing uh, in this job of work to look for documents that it it holds is as a result of gross incompetence, uh, well, uh, I'm sure uh, Louth County Council will uh, have to deal with that. Uh, But if that's not the reason, uh, have you any theories as to what might be the reason?
5: Well, it's having more regard for religious organisation over over sexual abuse victims, and this this was. Um, you really believe that? Yeah. Deference? And yeah, th- yeah, I would. Yeah, this this is Sub- this subservience. Yeah, and this has always happened. This has been uh, going back years. Uh, This is what's happened, that when when uncomfortable truths are put to an organization, that they sweep them under the carpet, they don't want to speak, they don't want to speak about them and they bury them. It happened in the 70s, 80s to these men. It happened to me in the 90s. Um, And it looks like, to me now, it's only my opinion, Mm. as the opinion of the other victims as well, that it's happening again today. Um, that the, the needs of, of a religious organization and deference to a legal, religious organization and Brother Garvey, um, who presided over the introduction of this litigation strategy. Mm. And nobody was defaming anybody. And uh, nobody, the, the only people that have been hard done by here now are the victims, you know. And it's be interesting, as I said, to see these 892, mm. to see who's talking about the victims and, and, and what are, how are they trying to help them. Because it doesn't look like they were trying to help them at all. You know, but this, this is what we believe. Mm.
3: Um, the shutters okay. came down. Yeah. Publicly, the shutters came down. Yeah. Behind those shutters, we know that people were very busy on their keyboards yeah. sending emails on 892 occasions as to mm. what was being proposed. And it was only a proposal uh, to be accepted or rejected like any other motion. Yeah,
5: yeah it's a democracy and you have a vote. And they're allowed um, Maeve Yore, who's unbelievably brave, unbelievably brave uh, Councillor Maeve Vior, to put this onto the Loud County Council agenda. You've no idea uh, the trouble this has caused in Loud County Council, as you can see, and you've no idea how brave she was, your listeners, that, that she would put this motion onto the Loud County Council. That's all she was looking for. And then we'd have a vote. Sure, it took, it was nearly a year. Um, and the and, and motion was taken off the agenda without any reason, unilaterally it's a reserve function of councillors and officials took the motion off and uh, on your show previously, um, councillor, the Coherlock at the time, Conor Keelan, uh, was giving uh, giving out that he wasn't consulted. And fair play to him for standing up and saying that publicly, that he was not consulted. And that's the act the CEO is to um, is to advise and assist councillors, and then the councillors make up their decide make make a decision with the help of the the, the But that didn't happen. Mm. So it was just taken off.
3: Yeah, without explanation because he wasn't shown the legal advice.
5: Yeah, he wasn't. No, mm. no, no. So I mean. It's just you have to go bring back to the victims how how poorly the victims and, and back to the citizens, your mm. listeners. It's how they're treated. It's how other people are treated. It's how they're treated. And, and anyone who's made a freedom of information mm. uh, request to Loud County Council, have they gone and appealed it to the, mm. the, the, the data commissioner?
3: But you're, you're you're making very serious accusations here. Now I have to say you're mm. you're, you're suggesting that personal religious beliefs or um, sense of dedication uh, as a result of religious beliefs has interfered with how council officials uh, go about their duties uh, or, or indeed uh, the elected councillors go about their duties. Well all I know through my experience and
5: through the experience of these other victims back in the day, um, this is what happened. When uncomfortable truths or uncomfortableness was put towards an institution, they pushed it under the carpet. And it's possible. I don't know if that's the reason. It could be incompetence. Um, but I don't know if that's the reason. But it, it appears that,
3: that, that it was just but swept, it, under, the, uh, swept how, under the carpet uh, out of deference. But, it, but, but, but if it's incompetence, hmm. uh, how can we look to Laos County Council to deal with the flooding in Coulee, for example? Or any uh, of the other really important issues it has responsibility mm. for with the people who are listening to us now well, the freedom of information
5: first came in it's to facilitate stronger oversight it's to facilitate greater transparency and and accountability and it looks like that, that doesn't happen in the old county council mm. they don't want to be um put under held under account and uh and I'd be worried if I was a citizen. And I, I I don't think they're getting their bank from their book. The taxpayers, are, are they getting proper um, service mm. from the council? You know, but um, those flooding, that was absolutely terrible. And I'm sure, look, I'm sure all the resources that are being put in to, mm. into directing that. And everybody, officials and councillors as well, would be doing their best for those people. Mm. But the bottom line is... Um, Certainly, Loud County Council don't seem to want to be made accountable under the Freedom of Information Act.
3: Okay, a couple of comments coming to us. Uh, Garvey controversy, this one says, serious questions for local democracy in Drogheda. More cover up than incompetence, says our caller. Councillors and CEO must now be held accountable. That's uh, Tony Gribben of uh, the Drumore survivors of clerical sexual abuse from the Diocese of Drumore texting us there. Thank you indeed. Uh, Tony for your message. Another text comes to us from somebody who says as a person who was abused by the brothers I'm absolutely disgusted with how our councillors reacted. For years they have treated the electorate with utter contempt as have council officials. Uh, it's just a, a couple of comments uh, but uh, uh, undoubtedly uh, some upset I- I- in that uh, and uh, you've been speaking to the men uh who you represent, uh, who mm. called for the freedom of Drada to be rescinded uh, before today's programme um, because uh, you knew that we were going to be telling people that first it was two, then it was five documents and then when they were directed to look again it was 892. Uh, what, 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 what have the men been saying to you, Daniel? Look, they're, not, they're not surprised. They're broken men. Uh,
5: the litigation strategy hasn't stopped. Uh, the brothers are doing the same. Same things. Them going through the courts. Some of them now are being asked to pay up money by their solicitors that they can't afford. One man came to um, uh, a, a a meeting in Dublin with his solicitor and in the High Court there recently, and he slept in his car the night before because he's a broken man and he's no money with his wife and he doesn't want to say that to anybody. This is, this is what this is what we're dealing with. This is at the back of all this. Um but they're not surprised. They they've all dealt uh, with this back in the these this these are these are abuse cases from the seventies, eighties, nineties, and they've all dealt with this. And Leo Vradkar was talking to those men when he apologised, these mm. day pupils. He was talking to them when he made a state apology on behalf of the state. He was talking to those men, and they have been treated absolutely dreadfully, shamedly by officials. And can some councillors in Loud County
3: Council, in my opinion, and in their opinion. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, we'll be hearing more about this story in the coming days. Thank you indeed for coming to us once again, Damien
0: O'Farrell.
6: Michael
3: Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing uh, this morning, house prices rose at a much slower pace last year despite a continued shortage of homes uh, for sale. What uh, this means is uh, that in County Loud the prices in uh, the final 3 months of last year changed hardly at all uh, it, it was less than 1% higher than a year previously and that compares to a rise of 8% a year previous to that and County Mead prices in the final three months of 23 were 2% higher than a year previously compared to a rise of 5% seen a year ago that's according to the latest report from daft.ie the author of uh, that report is Ronan Lyons who's an economist with Trinity College in Dublin and on the line with us and a very good morning to you Ronan and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme we've had a housing crisis in this country for some time now uh, but we're always told it's to do with supply and demand Uh, if Uh, The supply hasn't increased and the demand continues uh, uh, to uh, be at uh, the same level, if not greater than before. Why are prices uh, not rising at levels that we would have expected?
8: Yeah, I think there's two things going on. The the first is uh, for for prices to keep increasing, you need more demand um, or indeed less. Supply. Um, the, uh, uh, the, certainly, as you mentioned, demand is growing at a kind of an underlying level, what we might call latent demand, the housing the country needs. But in the in the segment for sale, it's uh, always a case of how do you convert that underlying demand into effective demand, people willing to actually um, uh, buy a property. The uh, the challenge over the last eighteen months has always been an increase in interest rates, and that has had two effects. Uh, is it, uh, it one on the supply side and one on the demand side, and they're very much linked. If you think of uh, all people who already own their own home who might, in other circumstances, have traded up or traded down or just bought a new property and moved on, uh, they are somewhat locked in by the, the lower rates they have fixed on. Most people prior to 2022 had fixed for three or five, or in some cases for seven years. Uh, and if they move, they will lose that. Um, that lower rate and go to a higher rate. So, at the moment, there's a lack of supply on the second hand side and the lack of demand, uh, or at least a softening of demand, because Mm. interest rates have, have gone up.
3: Okay, so demand has fallen because people don't want to move because of interest rates. If interest rates come back down, will that change?
8: I think that if interest rates came back down to where they had been, say, two years ago, you'd expect at least some kind of reversion to the way things were. I wouldn't be predicting that for 2024 or, indeed, even into 2025. I don't think interest rates are going to come down uh, to where they had been. I think they were kind of unusually low for quite a long period of time. And we'll have to get used to, as a country, we'll have to get used to, to, to slightly higher interest rates going forward. That said... It, it, As those, especially those three year fixed rates start to run out of those three years, certainly the second half of this year and into next year, I think uh, we're going to start seeing people going up to higher rates anyway. And in that case, they may want to move. uh, They may, in particular, may want to move to a cheaper property to try and reduce the cost of the mortgage if they're finding uh, uh, the the, the higher rates tough to bear.
3: OK, and do you think that this trend, if it is a trend, will continue? Because it's the smallest increase, isn't it, since 2019?
8: That's right. 2019 is probably a useful year to think about because it, it, it in that year, um, the the market was as close to balanced as we've had for a long time. Uh, there were about 25,000 properties available to buy at any one point in time. We're currently at about 11,000, so way below that. Um, In terms of how many properties came onto the market over the course of the year, about 70,000 came onto the market. We're currently at about 50,000, so again... COVID effect hasn't really um, uh, gone away in terms of the, the impact of the uh, effect of COVID on on the supplies, it hasn't gone away. Um, so 2024, I would expect to be a year uh, where we don't see big increases and we probably don't see big falls in prices either. There may be a little bit of uh, uh, ongoing increases in places that have benefited for want of a better word uh, from the reshuffling of demand with working from home so in particular in the west of the country and um, they're still seeing increases in prices but in places around dublin i, I think we've already seen whatever effect it's going to have has already happened and i uh, i suspect with lots of new properties getting built uh, even with the secondhand market in, in in a bit of a funk then uh, I, I think we're not going to see a big increase in prices in, in 2024
3: OK, so is this a good time to buy, do you think?
8: With that question, it always comes back to two things. The first is the circumstances of the individual or the couple who are looking to buy. Uh, if you're on probation in your job or if you're thinking of switching or even if you're expecting a promotion, it may not be the best time to, 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 um, to try and buy because um, uh, your, your income might be different in a year and that, that could affect... Um, uh, the, the amount you could borrow and therefore what you could buy. But if you're in a relatively stable set of circumstances, there's certainly no harm in, in taking a look. And the second part of the equation is the property itself. I would typically say for most people, they want a property that they feel comfortable, could do them for 10 or more years. Uh, you could certainly buy a property for a smaller window, but know that in doing so, you're taking on an element of of, of risk because prices may have gone down and and you may need to realise that um, uh, but if people have a long-term horizon and if their, their, their income is, is as secure as, secure as they, they, they expect it can be, it, uh, the exact timing of the market is less important. Nobody looks back 25 years on and says, I wish I waited six more months um, uh, because prices fell by another that's, 3%. That's not the way we work. Mm. Uh, a long-term purchase uh, will be right for a certain person or a certain couple uh, when it's right for them.
3: Okay. Uh, would it be right to think it's a good time to sell?
8: Okay. <laughs> Certainly, if you're if you're thinking of selling, um, there's a shortage in the market at the moment, and that would suggest that um, uh, that you would have the not quite the pick of the market, but that you'd have strong interest, especially as we get into the the new season in the housing market in January and February. Uh, the only caveat to that, and it's a it's a small group, but at the, at the top end of the market, I think it's being particularly affected by interest rate increases. Um, uh, but that's but but you know that that as I say, a pretty small share of the market. You're talking kind of the the, the five hundred thousand euro plus, certainly the million euro plus end of the market is, um, is being affected. But elsewhere um, there's a, there, there are people who are getting mortgage approved, there are people who want to buy second hand homes. So if you're in a position to sell um, without needing to, to buy again, then, then absolutely I think it's with, with the market as starved of supply as it is, um, it's probably a good time to sell.
3: Okay, and houses are, are very expensive. Uh, the average price in Louth now, according to the latest daft.ie report, two hundred and seventy one thousand, three hundred and twenty five thousand in Mead. Nationally, 320,000. Dublin, 433,613 euro. Uh, but... Uh, They're relatively cheap compared to the Celtic Tiger. There's still some distance to go, is there not, between uh, when prices were at their peak?
8: That's right. If you look nationally, prices in 2007 peaked at €370,000 and they're currently €320,000. So they're about 14% below the peak. Um, And Now, some of that comes down to measurement. What we're trying to do with that measure is measure on a like-for-like basis um, but of course over time properties do change, older properties depreciate, new properties come in at a different quality, but as best we can tell on a like-for-like basis, properties are still about 10-15% to 15%, uh, less than than what they were at the peak of the Celtic Tiger. The one exception to that, if we look around the country uh, every city slightly or the part of the country is slightly different uh, the one exception is Limerick City in Limerick City prices are actually about 5% above their Celtic Tiger peak yeah. and that's probably to do with the Uh, the rejuvenation, the economic rejuvenation. Limerick had been hit pretty hard in the early 2000s by some major job losses. And uh, over the last 15 years, it's recovered quite a bit economically. And we're seeing that in the the housing markets
3: OK, interesting as always. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, today and Happy New Year to you as well. Ronan Lyons, economist with Trinity College Dublin, the author of uh, the daft.ie report.
6: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
3: FM. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, today and thanks to everybody who's been in touch indeed. Thanks to everybody who's uh, sent us a, a text or a WhatsApp message wishing us a happy new year. Many happy returns. It's greatly appreciated and good to be back with you and I'm hoping that we'll hear much more from you over the course of the coming weeks and indeed months as we make our way through 2024. Now, let me bring you some of those comments. We were talking about the businesses affected by flooding in Cooley. Lee on the phone to us saying it's ridiculous business owners impacted locally still waiting on assistance due to what? What's the hold-up, he asks? Why is it taking so long to get money to them? It's a a disgrace, he says. Thank you indeed, Lee. I have to say, uh, I didn't know how long it was going to take, but eight weeks after the flooding, I was surprised to see that people still are waiting on some of uh, the payments uh, that they had expected. Mary uh, says, New Year's resolutions are a waste of time because nobody ever sticks to them. Why bother making them? Uh, Thank you indeed, uh, Mary. Uh, Well, I hope uh, you'll make a a New Year's resolution, Mary, and uh, continue to call us through the year and do fulfil it, or else... (laughs) Tommy in touch as well. Tommy, thanks for your call. He says he hopes uh, that we see a general election this year. It's time for change, he says. Well, I don't know. I'd say 50-50 on that. I, I'm not sure what other listeners would think, but I, I'd say it's anybody's call at this stage as to when the next general election is going to be held. As for the political year ahead, Dave in touch says housing is the main issue for most people. People are either struggling to get a roof over their heads or they're struggling to keep the roof over their heads. Government needs to do more to tackle homelessness the rising house prices and rising cost of living. This is where they will win votes. Dave says the first party to figure out how to do that will be the winners at the polls. I think they will. It's a bit like uh, the lotto numbers, it would seem, at this stage, uh, Dave, uh, given how elusive solving housing has been for successive governments. Uh, Michael in touch with us too, saying he believes we'll see a general election this coming year, and he doesn't think that the outcome will be a good one for the Green Party. He doesn't believe Eamon Ryan has the confidence of the public, and he doesn't see them covering themselves in glory at the ballots. Thank you for that. Uh, Margaret in touch uh, about New Year's resolutions once again, and Margaret says that this year, rather than giving up stuff, she's going to try and approve her finances and her mental health and meditate. A bit more resolutions don't always have to be about giving up something. They can be about adding things to your life as well. Thanks uh, for that. Remember, that's uh, very much aligned with the advice uh, that we got uh, from Turn to Me a, a little bit earlier on saying instead of giving up something, maybe think a- about starting something. Now, we were speaking with Pater Tobin earlier on in uh, the programme about immigration and we would quite a, a number of comments from people about that. Uh, one from somebody who said Michael don't be silly he's saying that they have their passport in Copenhagen when they're boarding the plane but they don't have it arriving at Dublin thank you indeed uh, for that and uh, I don't think there's a- any question uh, that that is what patter Tobin was saying I think the question I was asking is why didn't they have one when they arrived at Dublin and maybe that's because um, they used uh, a false passport or Uh, whatever it was to get on the plane and maybe that was because they didn't have a genuine passport and the reason they did that was so that they could be reunited with their family for example who are already in Ireland and they wouldn't have got into the country with uh, the false passport anyway. Um, There's plenty of reasons for people not travelling, for people travelling without documents. uh, Plenty of very good reasons Uh, and as uh, I think patterson O'Bean uh, agreed when we were discussing it earlier on, uh, one of those reasons is uh, that they can't get a passport from uh, the country that they're from. Uh, the north of Ireland route for asylum seekers is in operation a long time, says somebody else. 20 years ago, we used to watch a particular man from across the border drop families off in the middle of Dundalk and uh, beside the bus office. Great business then and probably... Uh, no wonder uh, that uh, it was uh, possibly still in operation says our caller uh, Mary in touching Michael I, I think uh, Petter made a, a very good point we refrigerate lorries coming in with goods when they arrive back in their yard and open their back doors they find the refrigerator cut from the top of the lorry one after the other single men jump out of the back door when the driver opens up they take off and run. This destroys the unit and cost companies, not to mention where do they go? Is it at France that this is happening, or uh, where else? We need to monitor this better to make sure that people that genuinely come can live here, openly work and enjoy our country. Thank you very much, uh, Mary, for that. Uh, Frank in Drogheda, one of uh, the people wishing us a happy new year and suggesting that some of the councillors have a lot of questions to answer in relation uh, to uh, how uh, the whole issue surrounding the freedom of Drahada was dealt with that uh, freedom of draw that was rescinded from Brother Edmund Garvey in September that we've been speaking about uh, this morning. And indeed, the Council's responses, uh, the first one being uh, they only had two documents, the second one being they had five documents, and the third one after uh, a wake-up call, if you like, we've actually got 892 documents, and still uh, very... Uh, hard to believe and uh, I say that uh, after getting that news before Christmas before we broke up uh, for the holidays Uh, but uh, it's an ongoing story and we've really only touched on the surface of it today I think we'll be hearing more about that over the coming weeks uh, 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 for that matter uh, possibly uh, let's hope not uh, much longer uh, but uh, I think uh, it may be a story that uh, uh, might uh, run and might be of interest uh, to some of uh, the local councillors. We'll be watching to see if any of them raise it at the next meeting of the council and we'll be awaiting a response for that matter from the County Council to our questions uh, about uh, their response. But that's where our time runs out for today. Thank you indeed uh, for listening. Thanks to Maggie McGuire for researching. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael and God willing We'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from
2: 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.
6: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.